0: roots radio this is abby martin and
1: this is robbie martin thanks for joining us
0: thanks so much you guys we had a, a doozy last month we had two really jam-packed solo episodes um we did a joint interview with spencer rapone and mike preisner from eyes left which was a really incredible interview check that out and robbie you did another interview uh, for the book watchdogs didn't bark
1: yeah it's an incredibly um important book It is the follow-up work by John Duffy and Ray Nowaszewski, who I interviewed on the podcast, who are the directors of 9-11 Press for Truth and also conducted the Who is Rich Blee audio documentary. They interviewed Richard Clark. So there's a lot of stuff in that book. It basically blows the 9-11 official story as as things continue to come out. It just pokes more holes in it. So I recommend everybody check it out. They're not truthers. What you're
0: saying is you're a total batshit lunatic conspiracy theorist. Yeah, who dares to question that Bush lied to us about the attacks?
1: Well, it's funny because Newsweek and a bunch of other people are running with the story now, seeing that the CIA purposely blocked information. So as we more and more information come out, the story gets more bizarre, and this idea that Saudi Arabia was behind the attacks and you know everything it just doesn't hold water when you really look at all these things together. Um, and their book really does implicate the CIA pretty directly in basically hiding all this information for seemingly no rational reason. So it's very interesting. I recommend people check that out. You recently appeared on Lee Camp's Redacted Tonight. Um, you were on Jimmy Dore's show recently. And you're also on the TYT Aggressive Progressives stream. And I was on the Vegan Vanguard podcast um, discussing the, the sort of purge on social media of activists
0: yeah. She's amazing. I want to go on soon. Um, cool. I'll check that out on our SoundCloud timeline. You reposted the interviews that you did on some radio shows. I also reposted the one that I did on, um, Max's moderate rebels. Oh, yeah. That's that out, out now. Yeah. The one yeah. that I
1: appeared on is for global Research's podcast. Um, and I discuss, it's like a two part, pretty long interview. So make sure to check that out.
0: Yeah, and Jimmy Door has been really great and um, really boosting my fundraiser for our Empire Files, and we're almost at 50k. So thank you everyone so much for donating. Anyone who's done that big and small donations, we really, really appreciate it. It's incredible. So we're definitely going to jumpstart production. We have enough to now cover all the Gaza stuff, the Columbia stuff, and produce several new documentaries and interviews. So. Um, If you haven't donated, please, please do so still, because we definitely want to keep the show going well beyond that. So thanks so much again. Um, I'm also doing a Reddit AMA for the first time today after we get off the podcast. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous about that. Uh, Check that out whenever you hear this.
1: And just this morning, I guess let's get into it. I woke up to all this new, another bombardment of all these insider leak from the White House and all this dirt, all this shit talking by his own cabinet officials against him and vice versa from this new Bob Woodward book that's very much in the mold of Fire and Fury, um, the book that like dominated the news cycle for weeks. But I'll just run through some of the things. And, and just for the record, Bob Woodward, you know, Woodward and Bernstein- used to be hailed as this great journalist back in the day. Um, He wrote a sycophantic portrayal of the George W. Bush administration that was very bizarre, made a lot of people realize that somehow he had simmered in DC for so long, he just became an establishment lackey. And now he's writing this book that's just digging up all this dirt on the Trump administration based on hundreds of interviews he said he conducted in deep background, which means that most of it's anonymous sources. Of course, Trump can just write all this off as fake news, but let me just go through really quickly and uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: just pull out some of the most interesting things from the book. Apparently, Trump's biggest regret during his entire presidency was condemning the neo-Nazis in Charlottesville, even what? though he really didn't at all. What and does said that, that even mean? that the alt-left and alt-right were both bad like during that speech. Do you want Wait, to Wait, that doesn't on even that?
0: make sense. So Bob Woodward is saying that Trump, like behind the scenes... Is just really uh, upset that he condemned neo Nazis in Charlottesville, yes. even though he didn't. Where is he even on record condemning them? I don't, I, even, I don't even know. That. I mean, I guess I by saying that, that they were is... really
1: bad people on both sides or something.
0: I don't even believe
1: that. I you're right. I don't. It seems slightly unbelievable to say the least. Because yeah, he didn't really condemn them. According to the book, it's something that he raised multiple times and would vent about it. But yeah, it's it's not it, taking it face value is a little hard to believe. So take Mm -hmm. all this with a grain of salt as I read through some more of these, because this is all anonymously sourced. This is one of the funnier things from it is apparently Trump used to walk around the White House doing impressions, like full body impressions of McMaster, (laughs) talking with a booming cartoonishly deep voice with his chest puffed out. That's funny. Mattis uh, quoted as saying that Trump has the national security understanding of a sixth or a fifth grader. (laughs) John Kelly on Trump, apparently at a luncheon with, uh, with other advisors of Trump, he said, he's an idiot. It's pointless to try to convince him of anything. He's gone off the rails. We're in crazy town. I don't even know why any of us are here. This is the worst job I've ever had.
0: <laughs> where, did, where was he even quoted saying that?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. it's anonymously sourced. Obviously. Yeah, like, yeah. So again, grain <laughs> of salt, but still, you know, if this is all really happening. It's, it's hilarious. Trump said of Sessions, this guy is mentally retarded. He's this dumb southerner. He couldn't even be a one-person country lawyer down in Alabama. And then according to the book, that during a practice run of what Mueller was going to ask him, like they've done several of these like practice mm-hmm. runs, like almost like debate prep for a candidate, that he just like lost his cool. He couldn't even finish it and said, this thing's a goddamn hoax. I don't even want to testify. He said. <laughs> And then just on that same tip, Trump's former lawyer, John Dowd, was also worried that Trump was going to perjure himself. And after Trump said he might, he does want to testify after this like fumbled prep, Dowd told Trump, don't testify. It's either that or an orange jumpsuit. So that's how apparently how worried um, his own lawyers are about Trump just perjuring himself and like fucking up really badly.
0: Any news on the Michael Cohen stuff?
1: Michael Cohen updates, yeah. Um, I mean, only that Lanny Davis got caught lying and CNN got caught lying, and we could go into that a little later when we go through some of the Russia updates. But Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that that's just one of the main things that happened. Lanny Davis is Michael Cohen's lawyer, and Lanny Davis is like one of the biggest like Clinton allies ever. So,
0: yeah, I couldn't believe that. That was so disgusting and in the last podcast that you read just that fawning email to Hiller. And he was like, I am so grateful that you give me the time to yeah. write me an email. He was like my groveling Lord. to her. Yeah, it was disgusting. Really weird that Cohen hired him. Um, but as far as this new book, yeah, I mean, I believe some of it... Um, I, I think it's hilarious. I mean, it just shows you how dysfunctional the inner cabinet is and how much everyone's just talking shit about each other and mm-hmm. everyone probably hates Trump and Trump hates everyone. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just insane. I mean, picture Veep, but with like people like Jeff Sessions and Sarah Palin. I know. I mean, it's just like dumb asses and then Trump. I mean, it's like a circus.
1: Yeah, and I'll mention something later. Um, there's a really interesting revelation when we get to the serious section of our podcast where apparently he told... Mattis that he wanted to assassinate Assad. So this is the supposed anti-deep state, anti-neocon president who's talking about assassinating Assad. So Oh
0: yeah, and wait till you hear what they're doing to Palestine and Israel. It'll make you sick. I mean, Trump is talking constantly about invading Venezuela. He's talking about assassinating Assad, increased drone strikes over 400%. Um, it's insane. And yeah, the, the shit that he's doing on Palestine... Is just criminal. It's downright fucking criminal. But we'll get into that later.
1: Yeah. So let's uh, let's quickly mention um, our favorite uh, <laughs> recent uh, celebrity to talk about: Elon Musk. Is Banks, music artist, recently revealed a bunch of stuff about him because she went and stayed at his house apparently to do a collaboration track with Grimes, and she claims that Grimes is just on meth all the time, and then Elon Musk is like to- dropping acid all the time. And that could possibly explain his like completely off-the-rails behavior that's even upsetting his own stockholders now. They're telling him not to tweet. I mean, his board is telling him to stop tweeting and stuff. So it's just strange meltdown. But describe uh, quickly. Oh, yeah.
0: What- so so a couple of podcasts ago, we were talking about the Thai rescue mission of those Thai boys, um, that British diver, Vernon Unsuth, Unsworth, um, who rescued all of them out of the cave. And Elon Musk was very upset because this guy told him that he was basically just uh, doing a PR stunt with this mini submarine that he was trying to concoct and basically take all the credit and all the limelight away from this actual British diver who was there training the boys and, and getting them out. And so Elon Musk called him a pedo, called him a pedophile, and doubled down on it several times. And we were Sus. just absolutely <laughs> stunned. Cess. And, um, and then Elon Musk followed up and he was like, well, why hasn't the guy sued me yet? It's like, it's untrue. That's and like then what the right-wing guy's people lawyer, talk
1: about Pizzagate yeah. say. They're like, why hasn't Podesta sued me yet for yeah. saying that I he has a child <laughs> sex dungeon?
0: That means he really does. <laughs> it's a pretty low bar. How come <laughs> you haven't been sued yet? And so Elon Musk taunted the guy again, saying, well, I haven't sued me, so I guess it's it's still sus. And so the guy's <laughs> lawyer responded to him on Twitter, and he was like, here's the, here's the lawsuit. Um <laughs> So, so in a letter sent, sent to Musk by Unsworth's attorney, Ellen Wood, um, Wood accused Musk of quote, false defamatory statements conveying that Unsworth is a pedophile. So yeah, that, that's where we're at today. And this is Elon Musk now, um, trying to become like a martyr or just get sympathy whenever he does interviews saying that he can't sleep. He's working his ass off. He's, he doesn't get vacation. He's sick. His health is failing because he's just working so hard on Tesla. So I, I guess I feel really I, yeah. sorry for the guy, it's man. It's really he's bizarre. Why his ass is it, off. And also, why would you even invite Azalea Banks over if you're going to be like on acid? That that's even weird. I mean, Azalea Banks is nuts too. Oh,
1: I know, but but I mean, apparently Grimes is living with him now, and they and that's like where she went to work on the track. Mm-hmm.
0: I just wonder if that's even, like, a big PR stunt, just because all of them are just such attention whores. Like- it
1: could be. It could be. But, I mean, I I, I was just say- thinking this the other day that it's, like, Silicon Valley is apparently, like, very friendly to psychedelic drugs now. and There's people yeah. paying, like, $500 a pop businessmen to do ayahuasca, just vomiting and shitting their brains out, like, in some house in Palo Alto. So... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's believable to me only in the sense that it like might explain some of his right. ego ego maniacal behavior. Because some people, when they take psychedelics, they're supposed to dissolve your ego and sort of humble you. But I think there's like a snapback rubber band effect for some people who are just like their ego goes out of control and they become these like new age. They believe all their own bullshit. So I don't know. I mean, total speculation, but.
0: I always thought like, okay, the best functional terrorism would be like dosing everyone in mass at the White House correspondence Dinner or Congress or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, but um, but I guess it turns out that dosing like total megalomaniac, narcissistic psychopaths probably would be bad. Yeah. It might actually backfire. Yeah, I mean, uh, even Jordan already, Peterson like, talks about psychedelics and stuff. And he acts like really? he's done
1: them. And it's just like, wow, you've done psychedelics, but you still act like an angry, disgruntled 12-year-old boy.
0: Wants to throw snowballs. I just heard that his daughter went on Joe Rogan. I can't wait to not watch that. Strange. Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, he and has apparently, children. she hasn't. She has an Instagram, and all all the comments are just like creepy incel esque Jordan Peterson fans who are like Jordan Peterson knows how to breed and like just crazy creepy. Comments on his daughter's pictures,
1: <laughs> and just for the record, Yikes. he has been accused of sexual harassment over three times um, while really? being a professor in uh, in Canada. So, yeah, and he claims they're all unfair allegations. Said one of them actually tangled him up his life up for a whole year. Aww. Yeah. Oh,
0: interesting way to get ahead of the curve and make it all about, like, trans pronouns and how you're mm-hmm. you're being victimized.
1: Well, that guy, Brett Weinstein, who was supposedly, like, a liberal lefty professor from, like, I don't know what university, who's now part of the intellectual dark web, he was just interviewed by um, Robert Wright on Blogging Heads, and he completely defended Ben Shapiro's bomb you know Arabs like to bomb shit and live in like an open sewage and he said oh that was just taken out of context like all these people are just fucking phony motherfuckers just admit you're racist just admit you hate Arabs and you prefer to see them dead like I would honestly have more respect for that point of view if they just said it openly
0: how is that taken out of context it was just like a single tweet
1: yeah I don't know and speaking of um, pronouns Alex Jones was actually caught looking at... Tran- well, not caught looking at it on Live On Air, but he was caught pulling up a window by accident while advertising like one of his supplements on his iPhone. He had like a little screen up and he accidentally clicked to the tab button and all his tabs were visible on like on a one window at once. And in one of the tabs was a tiny thumbnail image from a porn website that had the headline T-Babe. And people, you know, in 4chan and other places found out what porn video was and it was actually transsexual porn star um, video that he had been looking at on his phone. And the only reason I'm bringing it, I'm not doing this to shame him or whatever. The only reason it's noteworthy at all is because he rails against transsexual people constantly on his show. So it's just another interesting example of, is he actually into transsexual porn and he's sort of repressing this and that's where his hatred comes from. It's hard to tell, but (coughs) his defense of why it popped up on his phone is ludicrous and it's actually funny you can watch the clip online where some woman calls into his show and she's like Alex what's the deal with that transport and he's like he's like say that again like he tries to give himself like time to think of an excuse (laughs) like he hurt you it's like 100 percent clear what she asked him you know the
0: cock brothers remember he kept saying the cock I don't know who the cock brothers are (laughs) yeah what
1: (laughs) there's talk recently about what does he say what did he say oh he said that there's two types of people People who look at porn And the people who lie about it What? And then he said that He had no explanation at all His I mean it's just like Any other Alex he, Hearing Alex Jones Try to dig himself out of a lie It totally falls apart I can't quote to you what he said but the video is online i recommend people watch it it's still totally unbelievable explanation well according to that one lawsuit leveled against alex jones by one of his former employees that he accuses alex jones and his staff of sexual harassment by like posting gay porn clips like on like having like gay porn clips like playing on his computer when he would like go to sit down at his workstation and stuff I don't what? know. What the- and they
0: said that they said that he would do that like on purpose to harass them, or that yeah. that
1: was just well. The, wow. But they, it's bizarre. They lawsuit, and this is where it gets kind of weird. I, I don't know if I believe any of this. The lawsuit alleges that Alex Jones was trying to groom him sexually. Wow! By like incrementally showing him like gay pornography.
0: Who is this?
1: I can't remember his name, but the lawsuit was discussed Ram- pretty deeply. Rambo like, Bigs?
0: Was it Rambo Biggs? No, it wasn't <laughs> Rambo Biggs But that would have been great <laughs> if it was. <laughs> 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 so yeah, so uh, Louis CK comes back less than what 9 months after he's yeah, he knocked for it, he the fucking Me Too stuff. hit a grand
1: slam at the comedy cellar, bro. He came in no warning. Um, people who paid to go see a comedy show, there Louis CK just walks up on stage and apparently he got a standing ovation from
0: part what? of the audience. 9 months ago he was like, you know, I've spent my long career just talking and saying anything I want. He's like, now I'm going to take a step back and take a long time to listen. So I uh-huh. guess 9 months was long enough for him.
1: Uh, yeah, seemingly long enough for him. I've I posted about this before, and I'll mention it again here. And I, I think we talked about it on our, like me too episode of Media Roots. But you know, even the things that Louis C.K. has now admitted to doing, which is jerking off in front of women, sometimes with their consent, sometimes without it. Apparently, that he admits on a radio show from like 2009, I think, um, the Open Anthony radio show, that he broke into his female neighbor's apartment. Nurses that lived in an adjoining unit broke in through their basement and masturbated into their underwear. To me, that's a shocking uh, thing that he would admit. And, and I, I don't know if anybody out there's watched the FBI show Mindhunters on Netflix, but like that type of behavior is a type of things like FBI profilers use to model serial killer behavior. Breaking into a woman's apartment to steal or like defile her undergarments, that's serial killer shit. I mean, that's just, to me, way beyond even just jerking off in front of someone without their consent. And this clip,
0: nobody's talked about it in the media. It's really odd. Jimmy Dore knew about it. I brought it up to him. Oh, he, he, was telling me about, he was telling me about I Love You, Daddy, and how absolutely disturbing this movie is and how Louis C.K. wrote the movie. Yeah. So these parts that he's writing is all coming from his own perverted, demented mind. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the daughter in the movie who's in love with this really old man, Mm -hmm. is just really disgusting. And how his apology was like, not an apology at all. He was like, well, I always asked, I always asked first if I could whip my dick out and jerk off. And they never said no, Robbie.
1: Yeah. They never said no. And in the, I mean, in this, in this radio clip, he didn't ask these female nurses. He admits to literally breaking and entering. I mean, he actually finishes in their undergarments and just left them there. And he talks about it as if he used to do this all the time. It's not wasn't just a one-off thing for him. Um, so I personally find that very disturbing. And then also there's an interesting little YouTube um, clip that someone did an analysis of some different episodes of his old show, Lucky Louie, and his new one, Louie whatever it's called. Um, and they found that there was a weird pattern where he had female actresses in completely different episodes of shows crossing over to different shows he had done, using the line whip it out, telling a male character to whip his dick out while wearing a beige leather jacket in three different episodes across multiple shows. So that's just a weird just a weird thing.
0: What a sick <laughs> And it's just it's just a fucker. creepy thing that must
1: have just really burned into his mind where he needed to portray this apparently real-life event that happened to him three separate times with different actresses wearing the same clothing. It's really creepy. Really creepy. Paul F. Tompkins, a comedian that I have a lot of respect for, used to be part of Mr. Show, I thought he had one of the best takes on it. He said that the fact that Louis, a comedian whose whole thing is plumbing the depths of his own psyche, apparently didn't mention his most recent famous news in his surprise sets, tells you all you need to know about his desire for redemption. Right? I knew he'd be back but I honestly gave him too much credit. I really thought he'd just drop an hour set and most of it would be about what happened and what he learned from it. That's not what he did. I mean, yeah, that's kind of just reveals that this whole like Louis C.K. just airs out
0: all his dirty laundry and he just shows you all his vulnerabilities. It's an act. I Period. was like, I I liked, I always got a creepy vibe from him, but he was always so self-deprecating that you almost appreciated how exactly. miserable and it's disgusted he was with himself. That's a fucking ruse. And back to the movie, um, I Love You, Daddy, picture him writing all of these parts. And the whole thing is basically normalizing this pedophilic relationship with this John Malkovich character who's uh, allegedly supposed to be Woody Allen in the movie. And his whole persona in the movie is him being like, no, I can't accept this. And everyone's like, you fuddy duddy. Like, this is the way Hollywood works, baby. Like, you got to just accept your daughter wanting to date this old ass man. And then he's like, yeah, you're right. Like, I love my daughter and I want her to be happy. But the, but the whole thing, you're like, you wrote all of this.
1: It is creepy. And, you know, people have gone back and plumbed old episodes of just his his newer, newer show, Louis, I think it's just called Louis on FX, where... There's at least a couple of scenes where he, like, blocks the doorway um, when he's trying to, like, kiss a girl or to, Ew. like, make out with them. So that was another thing alleged in the allegations originally, that he used to block doorways and jerk off.
0: Oh, yeah, in the in the movie, too, someone takes a call over a speakerphone, and the entire time there's a character who's just jerking off in the room. Oh, yeah, and this Charlie is like, a 45-second scene.
1: Yeah. And I tried watching it, and, you know, to be honest... I cringe so hard watching it, not because of any of the things you mentioned, because it was terribly fucking written. It reminded me really? of like an amateur ass, like Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith style dialogue where you cringe and you you can feel the writer's hand like immediately when you start hearing the words. And you're just like, ugh, like this is so unrealistic, so self-indulgent dialogue. Like I, it just feels like a fucking like sophomore film school project.
0: And ready? Here's the most sophomoric, disgusting part of it one of the, his daughter's friends in the movie is like, I wanted to fuck you when I was 15. Like, tells Louis C.K.'s character. He wrote this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really... That's what uh, he thinks about himself? I that mean, 15-year-old girls want to bang him?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, it's... it's um, I don't think he deserves redemption, and I think that there are people sitting on stories far, far more disturbing than what he's already admitted to. Oh, yeah. To. Uh, based on just that radio clip alone... Man, I don't even want to know. I don't. Yeah, I really don't want to know.
0: That's what he's willing to brag about. I mean, it's disgusting. Yeah. And then, you, did you see this Asia? Is it Argento? Oh the woman God. who we were defending as one of the rape victims of Harvey Weinstein. So the the story was a little bit more murky because she did actually date Harvey Weinstein off and on for three years or something, and there was a consensual relationship there. And it is odd that you know the two most vocal proponents of the Me Too movement, Rose McGowan and Asia, turned out to be bullshit. She said that she was getting dick pics from this kid that she started a movie with since he was 12 years old mm-hmm. and never told him to stop. And then Anthony Bourdain, of all people, ended up paying out this guy like um, hush money.
1: Yeah, he, like he advised 000. her. She used his name in her defense statement saying that Anthony Bourdain had advised her to keep it quiet and to pay off this kid.
0: Somehow there's texts between her and Anthony where he's just like, don't worry. He's like, I got you. This kid needs help. I mean, it's just unbelievable that Anthony Bourdain was the one who paid this hush money. The mm-hmm. fact that she was soliciting it and, and, you know, they had this sexual relationship when he was that young is greatly disturbing. Oh, it is. It's, it's
1: crazy. I mean, I know there's really no explanation for it. I mean, you could say like, oh, she's European, she's Italian or whatever. That's what Quentin Tarantino tried to say about <laughs> Roman Polanski, or like why he, it was okay that he sodomized a girl on Quaaludes who was 13 years old. So, but no, there's really no excuse for it. And it just really does put the Anthony Bourdain's suicide in a new light. And I don't, you know, I don't want to speculate on it here, but it, it's, you know, you can't help but wonder what really happened yeah. now.
0: Yeah. No. And, and, Very sad. Uh, Yeah, it is really sad, and I don't trust her at all. I think she's terrible, and, yeah, hopefully she just goes away after this because it just seemed like all of it was just for attention, so...
1: So should we move on to the more slightly more serious shit now? (laughs) (laughs) I guess one of the more disturbing, like, stories that I've read in the last couple weeks was in California, um, a cleanup crew um, that was cleaning homeless encampments in Central California... Struck and murdered a homeless woman who was sleeping in a cardboard box. You know, just more examples of like our growing homelessness rates and people just not giving a fuck. Yeah. So it's just really um, awful. And that could really happen at any time in Oakland. I mean, there's so many homeless encampments in Oakland now. Um, one of them actually caught on fire mysteriously about six months ago. Just really sad. So check out that That's article We'll post it on the show
0: notes. Another story is this story of a woman named Kay Longstaff who fell from a cruise. I guess she was a British woman. So it's just been all over the tabloids and the front page of every newspaper <laughs> in Britain. And someone just said, isn't this funny? Because she survived. And it was like, how did she survive in the ocean for 10 hours? Like They're like reliving every hour and moment out in the ocean. Oh and my t- God. You know, it's you know, amazing is over a thousand refugees who are brown have drowned in the Mediterranean since the beginning of this year, and there's just no coverage at all for them. It's like a blip on the radar. Like, maybe once a month, there'll just be, like, a a story in The Guardian on page 20 of of just, like, all of these brown people who are just dying and drowning on a day-to-day basis, uh, fleeing wars that Western imperialists have caused. So it's just amazing the comparison of coverage between this one woman and then, you know, the thousands of people who are dying. So another thing of uh, the Democratic assistance to Trump... McConnell says he's negotiating with Chuck Schumer, who has been just laid down like a goddamn carpet for the Trump administration, on a package of judges they can agree to fast track to a vote. So while they're shaming all Green Party, Jill Stein, um, Susan Saranin for you know the judicial appointments and Kavanaugh and all the stuff that's going to happen with the Supreme Court, meanwhile, as we talked about before, Trump has already put in... I think dozens of federal judges actually more so than any other president at this point Mm -hmm. in their presidency and now on top of that instead of blocking this in any way, shape, or form, the Democratic assistance is fast-tracking the judicial appointments now. So Schumer agreed to fast-track these votes. They just cut a deal on 11 nominations, including seven Trump nominees to be district court judges. So just fast-tracking them through. Get them in there ready to just uh, limit and restrict abortion access, human rights, um, deport people quicker. I mean, whatever the fuck these judges are doing. So
1: Yeah, and they're doing... um... The Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, are, I believe, are actually happening right now as we're recording this. Um, and the Democrats are acting like this is going to be their big play to block this nomination. Like moveon.org is running live streaming Periscopes oh right now God. saying that they're protesting it. And there's zero, I, I can't even fathom that they would actually block his Supreme Court nomination.
0: What are they saying they're going to do to block it other than move on doing a live stream of like, Protesters. Well, like.
1: I don't know. I don't know how they're saying they're going to vote yet, but yeah. I, I'm not sure exactly how that process works and how many votes are needed. If it's like a two thirds majority or how that works, but yeah, it's completely unbelievable. And, it, and they're obviously going to let them through. So surreal. Yeah. Surreal. Really surreal.
0: And we talked extensively about Saudi Arabia, the bus bombing that killed dozens of school children Uh, absolutely devastating. So the U.S. had to make a statement because even MSNBC dared to cover that for the first time in two years. So the Trump administration claimed that, you know, they're really going to take a good hard look at their partnership with Saudi Arabia and after this atrocity. But turns out after this atrocity, leaked documents show that the U.S. is actually going to train Saudi soldiers in the U.S. on U.S. soil. So according to Ken Klipperstein from The Young Turks, the Pentagon is planning to train Saudi Arabian military pilots on U.S. soil. You know, it's all just kind of abstract because it's private contractors training for the Royal Saudi Air Force to be conducted in the U.S. at contractors' facilities. So what does that even mean? Um, The point is that this is after the school bus bombing. So, yeah, the Pentagon warned on Tuesday that it would withhold military and intelligence support if the kingdom didn't improve efforts to reduce civilian casualties. We already know that's complete bullshit. We have special ops on the ground in Saudi Arabia providing actual targets Mm -hmm. to pretend like they're removed from this is ludicrous. And this is all just for show anyway. Yeah, and Um,
1: they're apparently real
0: fighter jet training. Yeah, warplanes including the F-15 fighter jet, which the Saudis are using in Yemen. Absolutely nuts to think that that's happening. But at the
1: same time, this really does sort of transcend all... I almost feel like this isn't even Trump. I mean, but then again, it's like Trump talks about bo- out of both sides of his mouth so often. I mean, this is the same guy who said, if you elect me, you'll find out who knocked down the towers. And believe me, you'll find out it wasn't the Iraqis. It was the Saudis, he said, like during the campaign. stowing throwing out this rhetoric, basically completely blaming Saudi Arabia for 9-11, gives them the biggest arms deal ever, and then helps them kill, you know, scores of civilians and people in Yemen and then letting them train on our soil. It's it's just it's it would be shocking if it wasn't just like normal to you know that yeah. behavior for the United States. And just going back really quickly to the last podcast I did, the interview with the authors of The Watchdogs Didn't Bark. I mean, one of the most interesting parts about it of their book is based off of a Richard Clark speculation that no one in the government has really come out against saying that the reason why two of the 9/11 hijackers were living in the country and, and apparently the CIA knew about them and were tracking them. And the only reason why the CIA didn't tell anybody else, including any other government agency or even the White House about this, is because they were trying to recruit two of them to be informants, like apparently six months before the attack. These hijackers later went on to buy plane tickets with a bunch of other suspected terrorists that were on watch list, and the CIA didn't lift a goddamn finger. They had time, like, the amount of opportunities that not just the CIA, but other agencies had to stop 9-11 is astounding and revealed in this book. It does not add up. And even Richard Clark's theory personally doesn't add up to me, and um, there's actually an interesting section of John Gold's book where Paul Thompson goes pretty deeply into why Clark's explanation actually doesn't really add up and and how they had so many opportunities to just stop these two guys that could have unraveled the entire plot. um, And they just let them take flying lessons, let them buy plane tickets and get on planes. It's absolutely fucking crazy. Saudi nationals, the actual relationship between us and Saudi Arabia and their intelligence is a really crazy crazy deep rabbit hole that we'll probably never really figure out it's very disturbing to say the least
0: yeah it's so irritating that trump just because he says things his sycophantic uh bootlicking followers will just be like well trump said this and so he's anti this or yeah trump hates saudi arabia he's standing up to them it's like no dude just like obama said a bunch of shit when he was running and didn't do any of it the same thing with trump he's a con artist or even just the russia talked about saudi arabia he is being tough on
1: russia like he is actually being tough no, on I Russia know. policy wise and then everyone's like yeah he's trying to do a détente with Russia he's trying to get along with Putin he's trying to stop world war 3 no he just he's like sanctioning them and ratching shit up even more than the Obama administration was let that sink in yeah his, no his some, rhetoric doesn't matter
0: someone posted actually in response to me saying Trump's sanctions have shut down our show they were like didn't you see his speech Abby where Trump made this big speech about social media and how people shouldn't be censored it's like our fucking show is shut down because of his sanctions. Did you see that? Because I'm looking at his actions. What, a- what is he? What is he actually doing? He he sold 350 billion dollars of weapons to Saudi Arabia. That's the largest weapons transfer to Saudi in the history of this country. And and isn't it bizarre? I mean, just let's just look at symbolism alone. How weird is it that the first foreign trip that he took was to Riyadh? It's just odd. It's beyond odd. I
1: mean he's one of the most hypocritical presidents taking the office I've ever seen. I mean, his rhetoric and his policy are completely on opposite ends with each other and all of his followers just eat up his rhetoric and, and see it like tea leaves. I mean, even his social media shit, if you really look at what he's saying, he's mad that it's supposedly biased against conservatives and not just conservatives against him personally. He's mad that when you search for Trump on Google, Negative stories come up. He actually fucking said that. He's so focused on himself. His biggest play against social media was a video he released on Twitter showing that Google used to list Obama's State of the Union address like when it was airing. You could watch it on their front page. He made a video showing how Google doesn't do that for him and he's mad and that's biased.
0: But, Robbie, he's standing up to the tech giants. Unbelievable. It's it's so fucking frustrating. Unbelievable. And then you have um, Brian Winter. He's this Beltway reporter who's talking about what Trump is talking about in terms of Venezuela. He's saying, Momentum gathering around some kind of U.S. military action in Venezuela. Rubio, as well as some in D.C. bureaucracy, openly discussing now. A friend with high-level D.C. contacts told me recently, I'm afraid they're going to do something crazy people People think that this is some abstract thing like oh we 're never going to invade venezuela no one 's talking about that it 's like, yeah, they are on a mm-hmm. daily basis,
1: yeah, people are in denial about this idea that the u s is clamoring to start another war, regardless of who 's president, you know because they think that the, Trump is anti war and the deep state wants war, so as long as that dynamic keeps playing out, then there 's not going to be any wars because Trump is going to stop it no, absolutely <laughs> uh, delusional
0: so John McCain it seems like the media and political establishment have been ramping up for his death for about six months now. Yeah. Um, Because he was, you know, I thought in the hospital uh, really near the end of his life when he rushed back to be like that final decision on- uh, To not overturn
1: Obamacare. Yeah,
0: yeah, that- um, but then that was like six or eight months ago. It's like, it seems like he's just always been on the brink of death, but somehow still, uh, you know, making the rounds.
1: He was still kicking and, you know, still, still number one guy in DC. Everyone, you know, seemed like they loved him the most. And it, it was really actually announced that McCain was disinviting Trump to his future funeral, which is such a weird news story in and of itself. Like Trump McCain's already planning who he's going to invite for his funeral McCain wrote a letter, like, to be released after he died and shit. McCain chose one of Magnitsky's friends or something as one of his pallbearers for his casket. I mean, just a lot of preparation McCain put into his own death and funeral for PR reasons. I mean, it's just really odd, unusual. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but Robbie Olivia Newsy would say, um, by the way, using the occasion of a person's death to attack them is not edgy or cool. It's childish and cowardly. You're not Christopher Hitchens. You're an asshole.
1: <laughs> Which is funny because um, Sam Husseini uh, responded directly to that tweet and was like, actually, Christopher Hitchens was a fucking asshole, too. And I, <laughs> I drank with him and he was like a piece of shit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so John McCain, I mean, it's, you know, we can get into his legacy of war crimes and how he championed every single war. And, you know, he's on the ground in Libya, he's on the ground in Syria, he's on the ground in Ukraine within literally weeks of these so-called uprisings Mm -hmm. um, that are really just, uh, you know, regime change operations from these civil society organizations that John McCain was really a champion of. The consensus got together to mourn him in in such a ridiculous way, because in a sense, he really represented that notion of American exceptionalism. Like he, he was heralded as this hero. He was heralded as this human rights champion, because even though he really represented bloodshed, that's the mask that everyone loves to pick up and be like, no, this is really America. It's like, no, John McCain was actually responsible for the deaths of millions of people.
1: Absolutely. I asked the question, and I saw other people raising a similar point to this, but It almost seemed like all the people at his funeral and the general climate, like even the media, where they were mourning the death of this foreign policy DC blob orthodoxy and not so much mourning his death directly. It was like the symbolism of what his death meant. That seemed like to be the subtext of it. And I just find that very fascinating and strange and very positive, actually, that if that's what they were mourning the death of, then that is a a step in a positive direction. That needs to die. And obviously there's going to be other people who will pop up in his place. Tom Cotton, Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio, etc. But I mean, at one period of time, McCain was the main conduit for neoconservative foreign policy to be put into bills and, and things like that and amendments. Bill Kristol and Robert Kagan loved John McCain. He was their favorite guy, absolutely 100% their favorite politician he was also responsible for really kickstarting a lot of this cold war 2.0 rhetoric. I mean, he, he actually was the main guy who sponsored the Magnitsky act originally. Yeah. Um, so he's McCain was ahead of the curve on all of this stuff. And he really was the conduit for this sort of neoconservative orthodoxy, you know, to be pushed through into DC. Like he was the most hawkish politician. And I know maybe that sounds hard to believe to some people who aren't familiar with him, but it is completely true. You can look it all up. He was behind every
0: single possible war push ever. He literally went on the ground within days of anything happening in any of these countries. And he's posing with neo-Nazis in Ukraine. He's posing with like ISIS and Al-Qaeda officials in Syria. I mean, he's right there. Like more so than I think anyone else in the entire government. And if this
1: doesn't say at all, Lockheed Martin... One of the, (laughs) if not the biggest defense company besides Boeing says they tweeted out remembering John McCain and they like wrote a eulogy with their fucking logo across it in their font saying Senator McCain was an exceptionally courageous leader and a true patriot who dedicated his life and service to our nation. We joined the country in mourning his loss. And it goes on and on. It's written by Marilyn Hooson, the CEO of Lockheed Martin.
0: And they were genuinely mourning his loss because he secured high returns for all shareholders for years and years and years for Lockheed Martin. Oh
1: my God. Can you imagine how, how much he was responsible for upping their profits?
0: They called the fucking defense budget, the John McCain bill. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that the yeah. fact that they would even name it after him like right before he dies is just odd too. It's like it, how much of his death was planned out. It's fucking crazy weird. I'm not and I'm no way suggesting that he was like killed or it was like scheduled to happen. I'm just saying that's just such a weird thing to think about how much effort was put into like preparing people for his death and enshrining him in history already by naming this bill after him.
0: So that's very uh, odd. Let's just really quickly go over his legacy and then let's talk about the media's disgusting coverage of his death. Uh, Just really quickly so people realize how despicable of a person he really was. He voted against recognizing MLK Day. He voted against imposing sanctions against apartheid South Africa on six separate occasions. (laughs) He voted against gay marriage. He voted against LGBT adoption. He voted against civil unions. That's not even the war stuff. This is just how disgusting he was as like a conservative Um, and a pro-apartheid one at that. And then you have, you know, he was involved in this scandal back in 1986 um, where he received all these illegal political contributions from... Did you hear about that, the Keating scandal? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, so he was one of the only people that got out unscathed from this ridiculous scandal that ended up taking down all these other senators, and for some reason it didn't touch him. When he was in Vietnam and got shot down, he was on his way to bomb a light bulb factory. So he was on his way to commit... War crimes, like he was doing already in Vietnam, so that's why it's so disgusting to see, you know Megan McCain at his funeral, um, saying that he stood up for the life and liberty of other people in other lands. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Megan McCain, back in 2011, oddly enough, did an interview with Donald Trump while he was pushing birtherism full-time, and she said, "Can I work on your presidential campaign if you run?" And he was like, "Yes. So it's just incredible that they turned his big funeral into this resistance meeting and it's the who's who, the resistance, you know, Kissinger, um, Bush, all the war criminals in one room. Someone made a funny comment. They're like, just close the doors of his funeral and start a war crimes tribunal. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, there was even a Washington Post article heralding him as a human rights hero. And in the photo itself in the article was (laughs) him standing with Ukrainian neo-Nazis. Yeah,
1: one of the That's one of the primary far is. right um, leaders who actually like said he agreed with the Holocaust and that like Jews were evil. It's crazy.
0: So during the Vietnam War, he was captured by the North Vietnamese Army after being shot down on his way to bomb a civilian light bulb factory. So this was one of twenty three bombing missions he was he was flying as part of Operation Rolling Thunder, where the U.S. dropped six hundred forty three thousand tons of bombs. On the country, and someone in RT makes the comment, you know, you don't have to go and belabor the point of how horrifying the Vietnam War was. But this revisionism, you know, in his funeral, that the Vietnam War was somehow waged for peace and human rights, is just absolutely um, horrifying to say. There are Vietnamese children walking the earth today who will die by stumbling on the landmines we planted or unexploded ordnance we left behind. There are as yet unborn Vietnamese babies who will enter the world with misshapen heads and giant tumors as a result of the defoliants we showered on their country 50 years ago. So that was quoted in an RT article just talking about the true legacy of the Vietnam War. Um, and that's going on today. That's still going on today. Comes Wait, out just really quickly, is, I just want yeah.
1: to interject. I just watched this bizarre movie that's like a sycophantic puff piece on the last year of the Obama administration Obama was talking at both sides of his mouth on like war crimes we had done in the past. And they've, and the Obama administration visits Laos and, you know, tries to like apologize for all the damn you know, the secret war and shit there for so long. And it apparently like over 20 people in Laos still die a year from unexploded landmines left by the U S military.
0: Oh yeah. Fucking insane. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. No, there's hundreds of people who die like across those countries From That needs to be part of the conversation as reparations for these people who are still suffering, um, trying to clean up the environment as well. I mean, it's just absolutely shocking what the legacy is in Vietnam and the fact that this can be revised as him being some hero who really stood firmly against torture. He actually didn't. Um, And, you know, he comes out. Even remarking as late as 2000 saying, I hate the gooks. I will hate them as long as I live, even though we're talking about a population that's pretty substantial in this country where, you know, just seven years later, he ran for president. Um, He refused to apologize for the remark. He said, I was referring to my prison guards and I'll continue to refer to them in language that might offend people. So, you know, then he joins this anti-communist cause in the mid-80s. He joined the advisory board to the U.S. Council for World Freedom, which was an American affiliate of the World Anti-Communist League. Yeah. And there's videos of him. Ranya did a really amazing breakdown um, for In the Now. And it was great because there was all these video clips that I'd actually never seen before of McCain looking directly in the camera and being like, please arm them. We need to get them weapons. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to say just about the the stuff that he did on the ground in these wars. No,
1: I mean, just that Elizabeth Obagi um, was his intern while she was working for the Syrian Emergency Task Force and the Institute for Study of War when it was discovered that her PhD was fake. And also, for all, <laughs> McCain traveled to um, Syria to meet with some of these rebels, fighters, that were being funded by the CIA with Maz Mustafa of the Syrian Emergency Task Force, which by all appearances appears to be some kind of not necessarily a CIA cutout operation, but some kind of operation that's being mirrored by CIA activity. So, and that's who he's photographed with in that infamous photo you see. But yeah, other than that, I don't, I mean, I don't really have much else to say about him. He's just one of the worst neocon warmongers ever. And I didn't really realize it until I was done making a very heavy agenda when I really oh, realized how it. much, yeah. And we could talk about his, you know, how he's responsible for a lot of the Trump... You know, oh yeah! Th- th- this idea that he's that he's a rebuke to Trump that what he represented is this you know this era this golden age of like American exceptionalism and human- humanitarianism that Trump just is a- a totally throwing in the trash can is laughable because Sarah Palin was his VP Sarah Palin was the proto Donald Trump and. Just more examples of the hypocrisy, the fucking ridiculous hypocrisy of some of these neocons for saying that Trump is just so uncouth, he's making America look awful. I mean, Sarah Palin is the proto-Trump and according to Fred Barnes of the Weekly Standard, um, neocon, I think he actually signed some of the PNAC documents too, he admits that Sarah Palin was discovered on the Weekly Standard cruise and it turns out that Bill Kristol and others from the Weekly Standard after this quote-unquote discovery helped facilitate the first meeting between McCain's people and Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin lives in Alaska. Weekly Standard puts on an Alaskan cruise. Um, You could link all these things back, and it's just really fascinating how much they're trying to rewrite history and pretend they're not responsible for this. Trump is an extension of what they did period. What he's doing is a complete extension of their horrendous behavior. And they could deny it all they want, but they're directly responsible for this shit.
0: That is really funny that they pretend like John McCain really represents this bastion of the establishment, um, you know, really underpinning what America is all about. But yeah, absolutely. He normalized and paved the way for Sarah Palin, the proto-Trump back in 2008. Um, Horribly lost. Trump was just a a happy coincidence that he kind of fell into Steve Bannon's lap because Bannon was trying to cultivate this image of like this anti-establishment fighting the deep state. This was all talking points that were peddled around when Sarah Palin was really hot. Bannon really... Took her under his wing. He made a documentary about her called The Undefeated, Mm -hmm. which came out in July 2011, which chronicled her rise to prominence as this populist figure taking on crony capitalism within the Republican Party. And how her her fall from grace was actually by her own party's establishment and liberal elites. And and Um, around that
1: same time, Abby, I just want to mention really quickly that InfoWars and Alex Jones started promoting her as well around 2011,
0: 2012. So that's also strange. This is amazing. Yeah, Bannon even said back in 2011, he said he identified Palin as a, quote, outsider with a, quote, drain the swamp mentality. So these talking points that everyone thinks that Trump is this independent guy um, with the streak that will stand up to anyone and he can't be bought out. These are just literal talking points from Steve Bannon. Yeah. And I'm convinced that Steve Bannon is still feeding him stuff and, and it just worked better with him out of the White House because he absolutely you really have not seen Trump go after Bannon as as he has with all of these other people who have left.
1: No. And, um, it, and it seems yeah. like just really quick inside baseball shit about that is that it seems, based on this new Bob Woodward book, that reason could just be that Tr- Bannon didn't get along with Trump's family and Jared right. Kushner and Ivanka and there's a lot of sparring between them and it could just be that he couldn't get along with his family, but... You know, and he needed to get him out of the White House, but he's still advising, it's still important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That could be the reason. I'm just speculating on that. Yeah, so back in the day, this was, you know, the Undefeated was this terrible movie that he made about Sarah Palin, but he was still trying to cultivate her as a potential candidate, and she's the one who said she didn't want to run. So then Bannon was looking for someone else to champion this white working class movement that he had hoped for for years and years, and it never really came to fruition. And so that's when in 2015, he really just linked full force with Trump to just adopt that exact same persona But he just did it really well. Um, Sarah Palin looked like a fucking idiot trying to do it, but Trump did it perfectly. Even just how eerie this rhetoric is, Governor Sarah Palin, this is a quote from her. She was like, I'm not a member of the permanent political establishment, and I've learned quickly these last few days that if you're not a member in good standing of the Washington elite then some in the media consider candidate unqualified for that reason alone. Like, she's even more coherent than Trump would say it.
1: It totally shows that this was all pre-planned for Trump. Like, this has been in the making for a long time. Totally fake populism.
0: Unbelievable. So let's get into what the media did about John McCain. I think the most surprising part was Ocasio-Cortez, who tweeted, John McCain's legacy represents an unparalleled example of human decency in American service. Um, he meant so much to so many. My prayers are with his family. So, my whole thing is, why even say anything? People have defended her, and they're like, "Well, she's getting in to Congress, and she needs to like play the game." Why do you need to defend John McCain as a champion of human rights and human decency? He's a disgusting war criminal. That really upsets me because, as someone who's a staunch anti-imperialist and who really looks for that um, first and foremost from candidates and political people that I want to stand behind, that disturbs me greatly. So just like how Bernie Sanders turns out, he was really um, trying to push for debilitating sanctions on Venezuela in response to their election, uh, just like the sanctions that Trump put in place that have crippled and seized the ability for our show to function, yeah, apparently Bernie Sanders was was uh, behind that as well.
1: Yeah, and just in contrast to that, I mean, one of the funniest parts to me about all this is, again, one of the only good things I've seen Trump do, and it's kind of an inconsequential thing, but the press are so upset that Trump refused to say McCain's name when he signed that bill into law that was named after him. First, that was the big affront before he died, right? And then when McCain died, a CNN reporter is just like badgering Trump in the in the uh, Oval Office saying, like, you know, when all the press shouts questions, he's like, Mr. President, do you have any thoughts on John McCain? Do you have any thoughts at all about McCain? Do you believe John McCain was a hero, sir? Nothing at all about John McCain? Okay. And then the whole time Trump is literally just like looking forward, like scowling <laughs> as the guy. Yeah, can you imagine
0: it? being a quote journalist and aggressively hounding Donald fucking Trump? You're in front of the president of the empire. And that's your question. Sir, is John McCain a hero? Sir, sir, please. John McCain, hero, hero.
1: It's so funny. And I, and I, I gotta admit, <sighs> I really like the fact that Trump is just not saying anything and just like, obviously hates McCain and he's not making he's not hiding that at all
0: I forgot to say one quick thing about McCain not only did he speak out to try to save senate funding for Nixon's secret bombing campaign of Cambodia which killed half a million people but then he also explains that the U.S. never really lost the Vietnam War Robbie he said what really happened was that Americans were tired of dying he was like we got tired of dying and killing before the Vietnamese did
1: oh yeah he d- he doesn't uh he makes no bones about the fact that he still supported uh, the u s to continue in Vietnam.
0: It's like the people who say uh the Japanese would not have stopped killing and raping people and and stabbing babies with swords. They were just like the Japanese were too crazy. That's why we had to use the atomic bombs right it's all
1: it's all neocon myth making and like right. underpinnings for like all this stuff I mean so yeah it's just stuff I've heard in the same like ne- when neocons talk about. Uh, the Vietnam War that's how they talk about it too Robert Kagan feels the same way of course
0: one of the pundits who had the most hilarious reaction to the whole John McCain dying thing is Jake Tapper Jake Tapper just absolutely adores John McCain in every way Um, In fact, I think John McCain picked Jake Tapper for his personal liaison to report on his trip back to Vietnam. They've been close for a while. We already know that Jake Tapper was at the forefront of criticizing Trump for not properly glorifying John McCain when he passed the near trillion dollar defense budget. Yeah, so he was his personal stenographer for a 2000 trip to Vietnam. When the former CNN host Howard Kurtz asked Tapper back then, when you're on the campaign bus with McCain, do you make a conscious effort not to fall under the magical McCain spell? What? And Tapper says, oh, you can't. He was like, you become like Patty Hearst when the SLA took her. Yeah, so basically he's joking like, nope, we fell under his spell. So apparently this is a little jokey thing within the Washington Beltway that everyone falls into McCain's magical spell.
1: They're like aliens. I mean, this is one of the things I was I was talking to mom about this, about just how much this reveals and just reemphasizes that idea that there's so much in a bubble in this DC Beltway mainstream mm-hmm. media community that... The general public doesn't really like McCain that much. Most people in the Republicans remember him as the guy who, def- to like, lessen immigration restrictions. Most people on the left remember him as the guy who had Sarah Palin as his VP. So, like, the general public isn't really that sad or they don't really care that he died. But the media is, like, the disproportionate nature of the media acting, like, so upset, like, this is the biggest deal in the world just really reveals how detached they are from, like, the general public, I think. I, I really don't think most people really care at all or re- that he represents anything for them. And and we also yeah. just forgot to mention that he was one of the most anti-Trump, Cold War 2.0-pushing people out there in Washington, D.C. Like, one of the most vocal.
0: Three years ago, I did a scathing report about John McCain on breaking the set, <laughs> and he actually tweeted it out from his fucking official Twitter, and I'll link this on the timeline right now, where he said, Vlad continues his attacks against me, dot, 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 I'm honored. And so it was just astounding that he actually tweeted out a report like, literally calling him like a senile war criminal. <laughs> I feel like he might not have even watched it. Or maybe
1: someone on his staff like fucking tricked him and they're like, just tweet this out and say it was like done by Vlad.
0: <laughs> and, then, and then so that was great. He gave me a lot of publicity. Thank you. It wasn't Vlad, it was me. And then you have people like Dana Bash from CNN. So you have Dana Bash actually saying, while John McCain's coffin is being brought up to the steps of the Capitol, and I guess it was pouring rain, and I guess it stopped raining um, when his casket was being brought up the steps. And so Dana Bash said, the angels were crying. She said, here at CNN, just a few blocks away, no rain, just there. Is this real
1: life? I just can't believe someone would actually hit tweet on that. I mean, what? at least hide the fact that you're in so much of a bubble that you just basically seem like an alien to the general public. Like that is it's insane, unbelievable to publicly say something like that. Someone else, I, I don't even know if it was a CNN reporter, but they had a blue check mark and like a hundred thousand followers, said that the date of nine one eighteen that McCain's death should be celebrated or remembered just like nine eleven. I. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the only media outlet that I actually saw that ran some funny coverage on it that was like mainstream was the New York Post, of course, um, which is like a Murdoch-owned outlet that I guess is still running stuff that's pro-Trump. They had Meghan McCain sobbing on the cover saying, The Meg, like the shark movie with uh, Jason Statham, takes a bite out of Trump was their headline.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, back to the civil society groups, you know, McCain was really... uh heralding all of their causes, everywhere from Syria to Ukraine to Libya, he's on the ground um, until these interventions happen. So, of course, it makes sense that Ken Roth, Human Rights Watch's executive director, so he says John McCain, quote, will be remembered for his firm, principled opposition to torture. And then he says, um, and then Human Rights Watch's Washington director said, quote, McCain's death. "...feels exceptionally tough for those of us who have fought for human decency and basic rights alongside and with him." Then you have Human Rights Watch's general counsel posting an article that called McCain, quote, a war hero. Then you have Human (laughs) Rights Watch following up with an official statement saying McCain was, quote, "...for decades a compassionate voice for U.S. foreign and national security policy." Very so telling, huh? Just like Lockheed Martin. They like let the cat out of the bag. Very telling. Lockheed Martin, you know, is is promoting John McCain for his years of service to their prophets. And then you have Human Rights Watch being like, we fought alongside John McCain to spread human rights and democracy around the world.
1: It's just so alarming, too. I feel like we've almost like regressed since that era, since like 2008 era, because... That clip of him telling the woman that Obama wasn't Arab, he's a decent family man, was like making the rounds as like an example of how m- compassionate and progressive McCain was. It's like, no, 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 no. He's actually saying, as a contrast, that he's not an Arab, he's a decent family man to that like crazy fucking woman at, the, at his rally. So he's, what he's actually saying is that Arabs aren't decent people. Right. Oh yeah, J- Jamie Kirchick actually tweeted that the world is a more frightening place now without John McCain. <laughs> and Bill Crystal was is still mourning the death, and even before the death, sort of like proto McCain death mourning already. I mean, seems like he's been mourning McCain's death for the past 2 weeks, posting little clips taken from his funeral, talking about how he's tearing up while watching them, many, many, many tweets. It's very interesting. Do so I recommend checking out oh my Bill Christa's God. Twitter feed. What a
0: complete psychopath, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: RIP, John dude. McCain. RIP. Okay, so just um, veering away from the McCain discussion, since we've already beat that into the ground, basically just updates with Iran and and sort of new manipulative propaganda-flavored media stories about Iran. John Bolton recently came out and said that Iran and China are actually attempting to interfere in the midterm elections um, using meddling and like cyber attack techniques. Huh. So oddly, a barrage of mainstream media articles followed this comment about Iranian meddling and started, it started circulating all over the press. It was actually one of those rare moments where you see a Trump administration talking point circulate in the press and not be questioned at all it would just like soaked in. I was like, that's weird. Usually that you see them always sort of right. poking holes and stuff, but no. So after that happened, uh, Reddit actually officially announced the website itself announced an offensive against Iranian influence operations. And basically what that means is bans and blocks and tracking postings that they believe are pushing somehow Iranian influence operations on our midterm elections, even though, The way they describe them in there, you can go to Reddit right now. We'll post this in the show notes. Even though they're actual like stated things like can actually be interpreted just like pro-Iranian government postings. So, again, that gray area, total slippery slope where it's just like, oh, you're talking too positively about Iran. You might be an Iranian bot meddling in our two thousand. 18 midterm. It's just so bizarre, but here we are already. And Reddit has actually relied on a cybersecurity firm that was involved in investigating the so you know the alleged Russian hack of the DNC, along with CrowdStrike, called FireEye. And I think FireEye did it unofficially. They didn't like weren't hired by the DNC, but FireEye was involved in that a couple of years ago. Reddit relied on their information to determine these Iranian influence operations. And again, it's just dovetailing right into this fucking John Bolton scaremongering about Iran meddling in the election. So very strange, very troubling that we've already jumped away from Russia to just other countries that we're like targeting for regime change. So obviously, so blatantly, Fred Kagan is actually writing for commentary magazine which I just did. I was kind of surprised by that. Um, Fred Kagan is a member of the Institute for the Study of War and American Enterprise Institute's Critical Threats Project and he writes an entire article saying we just basically need to squeeze Iran's economy with sanctions and various other techniques until their regime collapses. I guess he's not pushing for military action specifically but you know, regime change through, through another form through yeah, just like I- collapse.
0: Bolton just came out and said sanctions on Iran are having a dire effect. And he said, but regime change is not a U.S. policy that we have. Oh, really? That's amazing. Um, But there's a couple things about the Iran story that are hilarious. First of all, why is it that we never hear about um, Wahhabi troll farms, Israeli troll farms. It's always our enemies that are designated that somehow are interfering in the election processes or trolling online, trolling us yeah. into censoring the internet. So that's interesting. But also the Iranian thing is hilarious because we already know what they deemed um, suspicious Russian activity. It was like literally posting pictures of Fred Hampton and re- like revolutionaries on these Facebook pages. So what exactly deems like an Iranian troll that's meddling, quote-unquote meddling in our election processes? Could it just be um, nationalist Iranians who are who don't want us to sanction and bomb them? Like what what actually constitutes like an Iranian interest? Well,
1: I mean, press TV runs a lot of st- like 9-11 conspiracy stuff. I mean, they could even start saying that that's an Iranian influence operation.
0: Yeah, or anti-Israel stuff. Yeah, exactly, Absolutely. exactly, yeah. totally. And um, just on a side note, In the Miami New Times, they just came out with an article saying that the U.S. Office of Cuba Broadcasting, and we already know what USAID is doing in Cuba, um, but they run that Miami-based Radio Marti, TV Marti and Marti Noticia. So this is like the propaganda network that's broadcast throughout Cuba that they spend millions of dollars every year trying to broadcast like pro-U.S. propaganda. Um, Well, actually, after all of that money invested, and we're talking about $800 million actually in public funding for both networks. That's an extraordinary amount. Um, after spending nearly a billion dollars in these propaganda outlets in Cuba, less than 1% of Cubans actually say that they even listen or watch TV Marty programs. But um, aside from that, they are now cultivating plans to use quote native and quote non-branded Cuban Facebook accounts to spread government created content without informing Cuban Facebook users. So just just Sweet. like they created the fake Zun Zunio, the fake Twitter campaign in Cuba, now they're basically doing fake Facebook pages, probably like the share blue bots where they appropriated victims of police brutality. And dead people, to pretend like they were Hillary Clinton supporters, they're probably doing the same thing here. So they can foment some sort of regime change project on Facebook. So while you're hearing all this hysterical rhetoric about Iran and Russia interference, meanwhile, this is what the U.S. is doing in Cuba openly. Absolutely unbelievable. And then here's the most hilarious thing. Um, Nasseri Karay, a spokesperson for the Broadcasting Board of Governors, said, quote, It's nothing nefarious. It's not like Russian trolling or anything like that. <laughs> what the fuck? That's see that says it all right there. That's what it's all about.
1: This whole blown up two, three-year-long story that keeps popping up about Russian meddling and trolling. It's all to deflect away from everything you've just talked about. Yep. It's it's we do all not just we do it, but Israel's doing it, Saudi Arabia's doing it. You have to wonder why is this always omitted from this narrative? It's because there are allies and if we make all this noise about our adversaries doing it, then it just helps deflect away from us doing it. I mean, it's, it's, it makes perfect sense, actually, why they're pushing this so hard. It really isn't about it, Trump. It doesn't matter. Trump is a scapegoat. It's not. It has nothing to do with Trump. I mean, I feel like this is the main thing. We really had, like, we r- we're rebranding our empire by yeah. deflecting away to all these other countries.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: I mean, and... One of the more disturbing things that I saw this last week is uh, Nikki Haley, UN ambassador. She went and got awarded with like some kind of medallion, like award, along with Brian Hook, um, who is a former W official, who's head of the Iran team under Pompeo at State Department, um, at a Foundation for Defense of Democracies um, think tank talk.
0: Oh, nice! Good so, turn. Foundation
1: for Defense of Democracies is by far the most neoconservative think tank operating out of Washington D.C. currently. Since the Foreign Policy Initiative closed, Ali Abu Nima from Electronic Intifada um, alleges that FTD actually works directly with the Israeli government, um, and it's a claim that the Israeli government denies. And it's apparently appears in a documentary, but it's just very interesting that it's not just Nikki Haley going to the most hawkish neoconservative think tank and getting an award, it's the State Department Twitter account, the UN Twitter account, like the UN-US Envoy Twitter account, a bunch of other official US government Twitter accounts were promoting this think tank talk and promoting the FDD during the day. And I was just like, holy shit, that's really disturbing. They're really normalizing this. Probably the biggest advertisement FDD has ever received. That's a lot of publicity for them. Yeah. So uh, just a really disturbing you know, turn, and on the board of the FDD is Michael Ledeen and James Woolsey, two PNAC members who are, happen to be pro-Trump.
0: Unbelievable. They
1: split from Crystal and Kagan and some of the other PNAC members. So you want to move on to Syria? Yeah,
0: yeah, let's cover Syria too.
1: So uh, the Idlib offensive, which we've been hearing about... Um, For the past couple of weeks is apparently the Syrian army and the Russian military are gearing up to launch this massive assault in Idlib because Russian government and Assad are saying that they're pretty much all terrorists there. It's a terrorist safe haven. A lot of the neoliberals like suspicious regime changers are trying to use that as a straw man argument and saying that that's the same argument the entire anti-war movement is using in Syria. The entire anti-imperialist left is using. I I beg to differ. I think that there is a sector of that the anti-imperialist left that is latching on to that narrative, but I think it's a more nuanced narrative than that. However, there is a lot of truth to that narrative as well because even though it's a city of 1.3 million people and there's a lot of you no know, non just like when ISIS takes over territories. You know, just as I've been saying, bombing ISIS is really Um, abhorrent because they take over territories with a lot of regular people. They take over territory. So even if you hate ISIS and want to see them die, there's a lot of people who just get caught up in it, who are like taken over and have no choice. So it's the same thing here. The flip side of it is that the neoliberals are omitting and the neocons are admitting this really important part of the narrative, which is that Brett McGurk, he was an Obama era official who now serves under the Trump for State Department, his actual official designation is the special presidential envoy for the global coalition to defeat ISIS. He was appointed in 2015. So he's gone from the Obama administration, to the Trump administration. A couple of years ago, he admitted um, and then he's actually quoted on video saying that Idlib province is the largest Al-Qaeda safe haven since 9-11 tied directly to Amin al-Zawahiri, who is the number one of Al-Qaeda. And he says, wow. this is a huge problem. So, this is what's so funny about the sort of pro-regime change, pro, you know, let's get Assad out, neoliberal, neocon consensus is that they omit all this stuff and they instead just say it's all Russian propaganda and like Assad propaganda. But it's real. So part, I mean, yeah, there's truth in that sort of the Russian sort of narrative being put out is this is the biggest Al-Qaeda safe haven, apparently, or it was a year and a half ago. So it gets very convoluted Nobody's really putting out I mean not nobody, but I feel like it's just gets more difficult to actually find these more the, the real narratives about what's going on right, and it's unfortunate, you know, even this idea that there are there are terrorists there and they should be bombed i mean obviously I don't subscribe to that at all, just in a general sense because that's like the fucking framework of the war on terror, like I've never subscribed to that framework, so it is disappointing for me to see anti imperialist left is sort of towing that line, and not just taking a more nuanced, more direct approach of saying, "Look, there are regular people there, but you know, there are, it is an Al Qaeda stronghold. It's apparently one of the largest in the world."
0: Well, you're asking for nuance in like the most tribalistic, polarized era in recent I know. history. It really is like Russian media has really seized that narrative, and so of course it becomes like it just actually becomes like a laughable Russian talking point at that point.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that's the problem. I mean, yeah, I I do blame like the Russian media apparatus to some extent for sort of not taking a nuanced enough approach because I do think the Russian government has the same thing to benefit from like scapegoating Muslims and quote unquote terrorists that the US government does. So that needs to be addressed as well. And, and unfortunately, it's just you don't hear it's yeah, the not enough nuance comes through.
0: And then these—this is what these uh, regime change trolls will seize on too, because oh, exactly. they'll be like, "Oh, why, why don't you talk about like the Russian bombing of civilians in Syria?" And it's like, dude, it, it just like it just feeds into that, of course, as well. or Russian
1: imperialism, right? You know, it's and so it is a straw man in a sense, but it's not exactly a straw man because there are people putting out that narrative, so they do seize on that. And they make it yeah. seem like that's everybody, even though it's not. Like you read articles on like Counterpunch and other like left-leaning
0: websites. A lot of the time, and they do take a much more nuanced approach about it. That's why it's so funny. That's a sodist list that came out uh, mysteriously. You know, first we have the proper not, and then we have this list of sodists, and in it, it's people who literally like go out of their way to preempt anything about the Syrian war at all with, like, talking about the egregious list of war crimes that Assad has done, whether it be Aaron Maté or Owen Benjamin. It's just amazing. Like, these people are Assadists? I'm on it. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying the people in this list um, have literally gone out of their way to say Assad is a war criminal. You have Owen Benjamin on the list, who all I've seen from him is really, like, chronicling assad's war crimes so i was really startled to see him on the list <laughs> so that's what they do they'll just it's, like, it's just like if you haven't condemned assad enough or if you've just provided nuance or another perspective about the syrian war or if you've questioned maybe the chemical um, weapons narrative you're an assadist it doesn't matter that you've gone on the record even saying assad's a war criminal so as long as you're just criticizing u.s foreign policy you're just an assadist anyway so it doesn't even matter
1: of course if you haven't heard already, Trump is all is now threatening Assad on Twitter and threatening Russia. But not in as stern a turn of terms as he has threatened North Korea or Iran on Twitter. But still, um an interesting turn. On September third, Trump tweeted President Bashar al Assad of Syria must not recklessly attack Idlib province. The Russians and Iranians would be making a grave humanitarian mistake to take part in this potential human tragedy. Hundreds of thousands of people could be killed. Don't let this happen! Now, that actually is one of the first Trump tweets I've seen that doesn't seem like he just wrote it like he writes his other tweets. I mean, he
0: didn't write, never ever threaten the U.S. again or you will suffer the consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before.
1: (laughs) There's language in there that does seem like someone helped him craft that tweet. Mm -hmm. It's odd. But apparently, this came out in Bob Woodward's book, and we mentioned this earlier. I didn't spoil it because I wanted to wait. Is that apparently Trump asked General Mattis um, behind the scenes in 2017 after that alleged chemical weapons attack, Trump said to Mattis, let's fucking kill him. Let's go in. Let's kill the fucking lot of them. So apparently he wanted to assassinate. He just wanted to assassinate Assad, too.
0: But, Robbie, he wants ton.
1: Yeah, and apparently Mad Dog Mattis is the one who had to reel in Trump and instead wow. told his advisors, told an aide, um, when, when Trump was off the phone, actually, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to be much more measured. Yeah, really, really interesting, right? That, you know, everyone's acting like Trump is this ultimate, wants to— to the thought this new Cold War and detente. And, and this is what he's actually doing behind the scenes. And going back to that McCarthyite list of this Assadist list that someone made, there was a Twitter user, Vagabundo, who said, um, McCarthy had a list of communists, Proper Not had a list of Putinists. These guys have a list of Assadists. It takes a pronounced hatred of dissent to drop lists of hundreds of enemies, both people and organizations, the sort of people who thrive in police states. I mean, it really is creepy to think that this isn't even, like, I'm not assuming the person who made this Asada's list, like, works for some kind of government agency. It's even more creepy to me if they don't, because- If they're just like a regular person with the technical skills to compile like this data cloud, like they made all these charts and you know complex looking little graphs and stuff, and they just did this on their own, like how creepy is that? That it's like they're just turning, it's like this climate is turning regular people into like mini McCarthy's all over the country. Yeah, just like that guy
0: who who spent a year arguing at the Russian. Or yeah, what he, thought he was hunts Russian, Russian trolls. trolls in his spare yeah. time.
1: Meet the fucking, mm-hmm. t- fucking crazy.
0: Yeah, just put, just keep a list together. Now it's just yeah, the McCarthyist like Orwellian reality where we're just spying on all of our neighbors, trying to dox them, doxing Muslims, uh, posting who's the secret red under every bed. Mm-hmm. This is nice. It's a nice time to be alive
1: so creepy
0: doing this work especially knowing that there's just like average joes who are just uh keeping tabs on you and putting you on a list of assadists great unbelievable well thank you everyone for listening we're gonna do another podcast soon with uh more foreign policy stuff a palestine update and talking about this magninsky act what was the actual documentary called The Magnitsky Act Behind the Scenes. It's an extraordinary documentary that we're going to talk about in depth in the next podcast. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening to us rant and rave. And um, let us know what you think on the SoundCloud timeline. Rate us on iTunes. Subscribe and also check out our Patreon. We have new tiers. We are offering special artwork. I have a little gift package for uh, people who are donating $100 a month. And then we also can offer either artwork or the custom media roots artwork that Robbie's been doing an excellent job of creating for each podcast. So we have a couple that will be available if you want to join that tier per month. So yeah, check that out. Check out the new tiers. Uh, Please support Media Roots Radio. We put a lot of time and energy into these podcasts and making sure they're really jam-packed for you guys. So we are still going to do a special little update this month, uh, exclusive for patrons, so stay tuned for that. And thanks so much again for listening and for all your support. Peace.